Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2 this evening. And I'd like to preach for a few moments on another one of these faithful sayings. Four times in Paul's writings, he describes a saying that he calls faithful. And we have studied two of them. The first week we saw that the faithful saying uh, that God saves sinners will help you through some hard times. Then we learned that... uh, as you're serving God and as you're trying to do the will of God, that godliness is always good for you. Now, the world will tell you that godliness isn't good for you. But the Word of God tells us that godliness always is good for us. God always has something far greater for you than the devil has. God always has something far greater for you than the world could promise. And the difference is the world don't keep its promises, but God always keeps His promises. And as we study tonight and preach the Word of God, I want to preach to you on this thought that going on is always better than giving up. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that I've found that in serving God, sometimes there's some times when you just want to give up. Times when you get discouraged. Maybe you've been praying for a loved one for many years that they'd come to know Christ. And they're in the prayer closet. I don't know who gives the keys to our prayer closets to the devil, but he seems to like to find his way in. And he'll sneak up beside you and say, well, why don't you just give up? It's not doing any good. Sometimes as you're endeavoring to be a witness to your co-workers, the devil would stand beside you and say, they're never going to listen. They're never going to hear. Why don't you just give up? Maybe as you have made a commitment in the midst of your family to be a light for the gospel of Jesus Christ and a light for the truth of the Word of God, and you've been met with reproach and disdain, the devil would say, go ahead and just give up. It's not worth it. But I'd remind you this evening that going on is far better than giving up. You'll be far better to just go ahead and serve the Lord than you will be to lay down and quit trying. I know sometimes when we are weary and tired, it's very easy to believe that we'll be better off just just giving up. But that's not true. Serving the Lord always reaps good benefits. Somebody say amen to that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and let's begin at verse number 1, and and I want to preach to you for a few minutes out of this passage. Paul, writing to Timothy, says this, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Let's read those last few verses again. It is a faithful saying, 
For if we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we believe not, yet He abideth faithful. He cannot deny Himself. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I I would ask that You would give clarity to my words this evening and that through the power of the Holy Spirit You would speak to each heart according to Your will. Father, we're trusting You. We confess ourselves insufficient for the task at hand. Lord, we recognize the all-sufficiency of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost for what we need this evening. Lord, we love You, and we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. As you read this chapter in 2 Timothy, it cannot be lost on you that Paul is dealing with difficulty and adversity as you serve God. You know, if you're a student of the Bible, that this is one of the pastoral epistles. And Paul is writing to uh, young men, uh, Timothy in particular in the books of First and Second Timothy and Titus in the little book of Titus. And he's writing to them about serving God and doing the will of God. But you know, we live in a day of uh, categorization, if I can put it that way. We live in a day where we compartmentalize everything. And uh, I'm keenly aware that at this time, you wouldn't have noticed a lot of difference between young Timothy, who is an, an elder and a pastor at the church at Ephesus, and another uh, person that's serving God and doing the will of God. They both would have been laboring and endeavoring uh, to provide for themselves and their families, but they both would have been taking every opportunity they could to be a witness and a help and encouragement to others and to be a witness to a lost and dying world. You say, preacher, why do you say that? Because I don't believe that the pastoral epistles are just for pastors. I believe God has relevant and present truth for your life just like He has it for my life. Every single one of us, and I'm not diminishing the fact that God calls men into ministry. I'm aware that He does that. I'm not diminishing the fact that there are people that God sets aside for the work of the ministry to be uh, that which occupies their daily lives in a particular way. But I am understanding that the Great Commission was not given just to those that had an ordination certificate. It wasn't given just to those uh, whose names was on a church site. But the Great Commission was given to each and every blood-washed, born-again believer. Now, you have that responsibility, and I have that responsibility. And if I can say it as simply as I know how, we all ought to be serving God. doesn't matter who you are. You say, preacher, I'm a young person. I can't serve God. Well, that's not true. Timothy was a young man. You say, preacher, I'm an old person. I can't serve God. My years are far gone. That's not true. Paul was an old man. And here we have the meeting of these generations. We have the old man of God exhorting this young man and uh, keenly aware that he is to be serving God, that Timothy is to be serving God, that each and every person that's been born again, you owe a debt. Did you know that? Uh, I'm glad that my debt was paid for at Calvary, but can I say this, that in a sense my debt was transferred. Ownership of that debt. See, Christ paid that debt, but now I'm in debt to Him. Somebody say amen to that. I am a debtor to Him. And He says, well, you know, we say, how can we repay that? Or how can we attempt to live in accordance with that reality? Well, He said, I'm going to make you a debtor both to the Greek and the barbarian. If you want to live for Me and serve Me, then love those that I love. Reach those that I came and died upon the cross of Calvary that I might save. Uh, Do My work and do My will. And so you, just like me, have this responsibility thrust upon you. And in the light of that truth, there will be times that you will face adversity. 
And Timothy, no doubt, had faced some adversity. Timothy had some challenges, and you, you can study in the book of Acts some things that maybe he had to overcome, some preconceived notions. Let's just say that Timothy was a man that the average Jew would have looked at with a lot of baggage. And yet God is using him to reach a generation for Jesus Christ. And no doubt Timothy endeavored upon this work and met with some adversity, some uh, difficulty, some trials, some obstacles. And Paul writes to him and he exhorts him in the beginning of this chapter. He says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you something. I'm glad grace is for the weak. Amen? But I'm glad grace can make the weak strong too. We spend a lot of time talking about how grace helps our weakness. But let me tell you what God says about it, that His strength is made perfect in weakness. Our our weakness, our infirmity, our uh, inability to do anything for God is, uh, is not an inability for God to do something in us. Though we may confess and acknowledge that I'm unable and I don't have it within me to do it, that's all the more reason to look to the God of heaven and say, Lord, you'll have to do it through me. And I surrender my life to you that you might do it through me. So he tells Timothy, be strong in this grace. He says, I want you to tell the things that you've heard among me and many witnesses. Commit those things to faithful men. Instill those things into people's lives. He says, endure hardness as a good soldier. Boy, I tell you, if there's ever anything we need in the church today, it's a little preaching on enduring hardness. Uh, You know, the only way that you endure hardness is by becoming... I want you to listen very carefully to how I say this. The only way that you endure hardness is by developing a little thick skin yourself. I'm not saying we ought to uh, be callous towards the needs of others, but I am saying this, we ought to learn to be callous towards others' criticism. Just go ahead and let it roll off. It's amazing how many people say this throughout their whole life, well, I don't care what anyone thinks. And then they come into the house of God and somebody says something the wrong way and they get all tore up and they get out and they quit on God. You know, that's just human nature. I know you heard about the fella that uh, the cruise ship came by to pick him up. He'd been stranded on the desert island and came by and he was all alone. And they uh, pulled up close to the island and they saw the man there and he was there and he had built three buildings there. And they got him on the boat. They said, sir, uh, you've been out here for years. Why did you build three and just three buildings? He said, well, the first one is where I live. He said, the second one is where I go to church. He said, the third one, that's where I used to go to church. Amen. That's sort of the story of most Christians, isn't it? I mean, I'm saying this, quit you like men. I'm saying this, learn, learn to just go ahead and endure hardness because there's going to be hard times. He talks about how that we ought to uh, invest in eternity rather than temporal things. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. He talks about striving, running the race, striving for masteries. And he talks about laboring in the field of the Lord as a husbandman. And he talks about how that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead according to his gospel. Now, you say, why is that important, preacher? Because it's not that Paul is taking uh, ownership above God of the gospel, but he's saying, that's my gospel. That's the gospel that I preach. That's the gospel that's made a real difference in my life. And that's the gospel I tell others about. He says, therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake. He said, I suffer trouble as an evildoer for these things. He said, what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying this. Paul is in a tough spot. And he's preaching to a young man and saying, guess what? Ministry and serving God is going to cause you some tough spots. And what are you going to do in the midst of those difficult times? 
No doubt there were times when Paul felt like giving up. I'm sure as he sat under house arrest, I'm sure as his heart ached to go out and to reach unknown lands with the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm sure there were times that he felt fettered not only uh, by the chains that were around his feet, but by the failures and mistakes that he had made in his life. No doubt he felt like giving up. But he tells young Timothy this. He says, Timothy, I want to give you a faithful saying. In those darkest of hours, in the midst of discouragement, when giving up seems all too easy, I want you to remember some reasons why you shouldn't give up. And I want to give you four of them this evening. Things that I believe will help us when we feel like giving up. I want you to notice the first phrase he gives. Now, this is interesting because these verses are actually sort of written as a poem. Stanzas are given, and in the early churches believed that people would, would sing this uh, particular uh, portion of Scripture. But he begins by saying this, It is a faithful saying, verse 11, For if we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. Let me say that the first and foremost reason that you ought not give up, the first and foremost reason that going on is far better than giving up, is the relationship that you have with the Savior. Let me tell you something, it all begins and ends with that relationship with Jesus Christ. If your Christian walk is built on anything other than your relationship with Christ, then it's going to fall and fail. You won't live for God long unless you're living for God. You won't live for Christ long unless you're living for Christ. We have a lot of people that don't live for Christ long because they're not really living for Christ. They're living for Christ for the church. Or they're living for Christ for the family. Or they're living for Christ because it's expected of them. But Paul looks at young Timothy, and through the eye of his pen, he says, I want you to remember, Timothy, when you feel like giving up, remember this relationship that you have. And he describes it in two facets. Notice the past relationship that Timothy has had. He says, for if we be dead with him. Uh, we might say this. He's saying, Timothy, have you really died to self? What does Calvary mean? What does the crucified life really mean? You understand that when you got saved by God's grace, your old man got nailed to the cross. And I know we have a tendency to drag that old stinking flesh around with us everywhere that we go. But you understand that the will and intention of God for your life is that from that moment on, you might reckon yourself dead to sin. Now listen, I know we're all going to make mistakes and fail, and you know that I know that. But I know this too, that there's a, there, there, there is a big difference between, uh, you know, uh, occasionally failing in the flesh and wallowing in it. Let me tell you something. In those midst of suffering and trouble, when, some, when somebody hurts your feelings, you just remember that the person whose feelings got hurt, he was supposed to be crucified on Calvary. The next time somebody says something bad about you, you just remember they're talking about a dead man. They're not talking about a living man. That person that gets their, healing, their feelings hurt, he's supposed to be dead unto sin. That's what the crucified life really is. I've told this story before, but I'll share it with you again. A.W. Tozer was once lecturing at a college on the crucified life. And uh, they came and they asked Dr. Tozer, they said, we want you to describe to us, give us a definition of the crucified life. And A.W. Tozer knew that a young man that had attended that Bible college uh, had just very recently passed away tragically. And he said, boys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to that young man's grave. And when you go down there, I want you to go down there and I want you to say every flowery, flattering thing that you can think of. I want you to tell him how wonderful he is, what a testimony that he had, uh, what a handsome young man he was, how charming that he was, how greatly used of God that he was. Of course, they looked at each other with disbelief, but they said, all right, if Dr. Tozer wishes us to, then we will. And so they went down and they... 
each in course stood outside, stood beside that grave and told all the wonderful things they could think of. They came back to Dr. Tozer and said, All right, Dr. Tozer, we did what you asked. Uh, now what? He said, How did the young man respond when you did that? They said, Respond, Dr. Tozer. He's dead. He didn't respond in any way. He said, All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to that grave. And I want you to say every low-down, miserable thing you can think of about that young man. I want you to criticize everything that he ever did in his life. I want you to speak of what a failure that he was. And I want you to come back. So you're in it that far. I mean, you know, in for a nickel, in for a dollar. They went ahead back. And they stood beside the grave. And maybe with shamefacedness and a little guilt, they criticized. They said every awful thing that they could about him. They came back. They said, all right, Dr. Tozer, enough of this. What are you trying to teach us? He said, how did that young man respond? They said, Dr. Tozer, he didn't say anything. You know he didn't say anything. He's dead. He couldn't say anything. Dr. Tozer said, young men, that is the definition of the crucified life. All the flattery in the world could not elevate his ego, for he's a dead man. And all the criticism in the world could not paralyze his testimony, for he's a dead man. To reckon ourselves dead unto sin is to reckon ourselves dead unto self. And to decide that, it, uh, listen, you can say anything you want to say about me, but that person... Uh, that sins, that person that did wrong, uh, that's not who I'm going to be one of these days. He was crucified on Calvary's hill. I still carry Him with me because on this side of the grave, He will always walk with me. But understand that I, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. I'm pressing forward unto those things which are before, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended. You say, what did Paul mean, preacher? Well, God didn't save me to live in the flesh. God saved me to walk in the Spirit. God didn't save me that He might leave me corrupt and perverted. God saved me that one day this vile body might be changed and made like unto His glorious body. That old man, he's dead and crucified. So go ahead and just reckon him dead. Uh, buy a casket for the old man. Consider him to be dead. He looks at Timothy. He says, Timothy, are you dead with Christ? Of course, Timothy would answer like most of us would. He'd say of his past condition, yes. Of course, I died with Christ at Calvary. Of course, I quit depending on self and on self-righteousness. And then he says, well, Timothy, consider your present condition then. See, if you're dead with him then you'll also live with Him. Let me tell you something. If ever you feel discouraged, feel like giving up, just remind yourself that you have one that walks with you. You have one, the power in whose Word is able to sustain you and strengthen you. You have one that if you'll just surrender... Let me tell you something. Our problem, and I hope you understand what I'm about to say, our problem is that in one sense we're too easy to give up, but on the other hand, we don't give up easy enough. The, the problem is this, we're too busy trying to work it out instead of just surrendering and obeying Him and following Him. Nothing is accomplished through striving in the flesh. Only way that anything is accomplished is through surrendering to the leading of the Spirit of God. That's the difference. That's what's going to make a difference in your life. Don't forget that Christ, He's still on the throne. Don't forget that He's still risen. Don't forget that despite all the discouragement you may face, you're still saved by the grace of God. The Spirit of God still indwells you. You may not be able, but you've never been able, but He's always been able. You may not be sufficient. Hey, Paul said, who is sufficient for these things? None of us are sufficient, but the God of all sufficiency is the one that indwells us through His Holy Spirit and enables us to serve Him and to walk with Him. He wants us to remember our relationship with the Savior. Notice the second thing. He wants us to remember the reward of our suffering. He says, if we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we suffer, 
we shall also reign with Him. We need to remember, I want you to notice first off the unpleasant condition or the unpleasant present that we all face at times. Listen, if anybody told you you was never going to have difficult times when you got saved, they lied to you. You're going to have difficult times. Your flesh will guarantee that you're going to have difficult times. Uh, you understand that when you got saved, a big bullseye got pointed on your back, painted on your back. You became a target. You became a threat. You understand that when you got saved, you got translated from the, the darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. You immediately, I want you to listen carefully, you immediately became a citizen in another country and an illegal alien of this planet when you got born again. That's what you became when you got saved. You're here, but you're not of here anymore. Uh, something lives inside of you that's hated and disdained by this world. And you, you adopted... There's a lot of promises that we uh, appropriated when we got saved. You know that? A lot of blessed promises whereby we are made partakers of the divine nature. But can I tell you one of the promises that we appropriated when we got saved? Christ said that this world hates me and it's going to hate you. You're going to face suffering. You're going to face difficulty. Uh, suffering. We might say that the soil of suffering is the place where the seed of faith germinates and grows. You're going to have difficult times in your life, but I want you to never forget, notice not only an unpleasant present, but an unchanging promise. If we suffer, then we'll also reign with Him. You are going to suffer if you live for Jesus Christ. All they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But I want you to never forget that this world is not the end of it all. Boy, how discouraging it is. Sometimes it feels like it's the end of it all, don't it? feels like, man, the crazies are winning out every day. <laughs> it's never going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. That's all it's done. Ever since the moment that man ate of the fruit in the garden, it's got increasingly worse. And it's going to continue to go that way. I don't care what kind of utopias that politicians promise us. It's going to, evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse. And it's not a political problem. It's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem. Things are not going to get any better. But understand this, there is going to reach a breaking point. Let me tell you something. I, I'm not looking to any politician to fix my life because they're not able. We spend a lot of time waiting for, for, the, you know, the, waiting for half time and waiting for the political parties to switch in zones. And we think that's going to fix everything. But let me remind you that it's, it's not going to be a president that fixes anything. It's not going to be a congressman that fixes anything. It's not going to be a senator that fixes anything. But the Bible promises us that one day there is a king coming. And that king, he's going to straighten everything out. One of these days, he's going to set up an earthly kingdom. I believe that. I think every now and then it's good to say that just so people know it. Amen. I believe he's going to set up a literal, visible, earthly kingdom. I believe Jerusalem will be its capital. I believe that He's going to reign in righteousness with a rod of iron. I believe that the nations will come and bring gifts unto His throne. I believe that the heathen will bow down their knee at His presence. I believe that uh, there will come a day when righteousness will reign and iniquity will be uh, squelched and placed underfoot. I understand that the wickedness of men's hearts will still brood at that point, but I also understand that at that day there ain't going to be no elections because the king's going to be on the throne. And there will be no uncertainty. In that day, if we've suffered now, Christ says, you'll reign with me. You'll reign with me. I could go through 
through almost a hundred passages in Scripture and show you examples through parables, through single verses, sometimes just through an overarching theme of eschatology in the Bible, how that one day we are going to reign with Him. But I believe this little snippet in this verse is sufficient for the moment to say this, that nothing that you'll suffer will not be repaid. Nothing that you'll experience will not be recompensed. Everything that you have to... Listen, God isn't a debtor to anybody. No matter what you have to give up, God never asks more of a man than that man ought to give, and God never asks more of a man but what God repays it a hundredfold. And so it doesn't matter. We really try to make martyrs out of ourselves, you know. I, I, I told someone the other day, and I hope you understand the spirit in which I say this, it's so easy sometimes to feel bad for missionaries. Not just to be burdened for them, but to feel bad for them, for the conditions that they're living in. And I understand we ought to have a pity in a sense. But let me tell you something. One of these days, hey, this story ain't over. One of these days, that missionary that's left home and left family and left wealth and left the comforts of a safe and secure country and gone to a place where they've had to trust and lean on the providential hand of God to protect them from violence and poverty and sickness every day of their life, there's coming a day God's going to pay every bit of that back. And so I understand that we, we ought to pray for them. I understand we ought to be burdened for them and concerned for them. But don't, don't ever feel bad for them because God always makes good on His promises. I want you to remember when you're discouraged the reward of our suffering, but I want you to remember the renunciation of some. This is a verse we don't talk about much. We, we referenced it this morning, but we don't talk about it a lot. Look at the next phrase. Verse number 12, if we deny Him... He also will deny us. That's where we get the notion and idea of apostasy from. The denying of Jesus Christ. And you say, preacher, what does that mean? Well, Christ gives us a better example, or I say better. He gives us an expanded and expounded view of this in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. Now, this is what Paul is quoting. And, and Christ said this, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men... Him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Now, we have a framework of understanding and a, and a prism through which we view Scripture at all times. And, and that prism tends to uh, reflect itself in the emphasis that we place on certain doctrines. Uh, I'll give you an example. We, we spend a lot of time talking about the security of the believer. I, I believe in the security of the believer. And whether I believed in it or not, it'd still be scriptural. Amen? Once God saves a man, he's eternally saved. But sometimes I believe because there is such an emphasis on that, and I believe there should be an emphasis on it, I feel like sometimes then when we read other passages of Scripture, we, we look for them to fit within the framework of that idea when God's not talking about the security of the belief. You see, what Christ is talking about, He's not talking about men that are saved and then turn their back on the Lord and consequently He sends them to hell. That's not what He says. He doesn't say, Whosoever shall believe on Me, him will I believe in, or however you'd want to say it, but whosoever deny Me. No, that's not what He says. He's talking about the public confession. In fact, if you were to read that passage, all of Matthew chapter 10, you'd find that that's the very same passage in which he's speaking about the day of persecution that the Jews are going to face during the Great Tribulation. Uh, a lot of preachers have said before, well, you ought not use notes because the Bible says that, uh, you know, that in that hour he'd give you the words to preach. But uh, that's not what the Lord's talking about in Matthew chapter 10. He's not talking about a preacher's 
standing up and expounding Scripture. He's talking about Jews in the midst of persecution. And he's saying, don't worry about your testimony in that day, but rather just depend upon me, and I'll give you the proper words to say in those moments of persecution. And he's talking about all of the persecution the Jews would deal with. And yet Paul pulls this into the realm and speaks this to a Gentile church. Now, why is he doing this? We understand that the denial that he is talking about, he's not talking about saved people rejecting Christ, but rather he's talking about people that have made a profession without possessing the Son, people that have made a claim upon Christ without ever having uh, surrendered their heart and life to Him, saying that those that have professed Him, if it was just merely a profession, and they turn their back and they walk away and they never put their faith in Christ, that Christ is going to deny them before the Father. Now, why is that important for me and you? Why is that important when it's discouraging and we're ready to give up? Here's why. Because there's enough given up already. That's why. There's enough folks giving up already. There's enough folks that name the name of Christ without ever having claimed the name of Christ. You understand what I mean when I say that. They wear the name of a Christian, but they've never been born again. They've got some kind of shallow church house religion vested in eating a cookie or taking a bath in a in a baptismal pool or having a priest uh, speak some words over their head, and that's all that their religion consists of. Pretty soon they get weary of it, uh, they get tired of it, they get tired of faking it, and they turn around and walk away, and a lost and dying world looks at it and says, See, I told you there was no substance to it. I believe Paul is exhorting Timothy to continue going on, not because he's afraid that Timothy will fall prey to this, but because he knows that's not the reality of, of Timothy's experience. I don't think he's saying, Timothy, be careful, because if you deny him, you're going to lose your salvation, because that would be uh, not in keeping with the rest of the Word of God. But rather, I believe he's saying this, Timothy, and especially in this day. uh, By the way, let me tell you something. In the day that Timothy lived in, it wasn't as easy to claim the name of Christ as it is today. Uh, There's lots of folks, they claim to be a Christian just to get folks off their back in the day that we live in. In Timothy's day, claiming the name of Christ might have meant your uh, uh, untimely demise. It might have meant the end of your life. And so at this time, there would be some that in in, uh, zeal and in excitement would say, Oh yes, I want to be part of this Christian movement without ever having accepted Christ And so, uh, then in the moment of persecution, in the moment of crisis, when their life was on the line, they would say, nope, not a Christian. And the Lord says, you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. He's saying, Timothy, there's enough folks giving up already. We see a humanly denial, we see a heavenly denial, and I'm not even going to take a lot of time to preach on it. I'll just merely say this. There's enough folks that are bringing a stain to the name of Christ without God's people giving up and poor-mouthing, and acting like God has forgot about them. There's enough folks that are claiming the name of Christ, or are naming the name of Christ that have not really been born again, that are bringing a bad testimony on the name of Christ, that as God's children, we ought to be extra careful to walk circumspect in this wicked world. I believe going on is better than giving up because of the renunciation of, of some. And I believe that going on is better than giving up because of the reassurance of our security. Now, there are some, we would call them the theological term is an apostate, those that would claim to be a Christian, but had never truly believed, and in the moment of persecution would deny the name of Christ. But Paul wants Timothy to understand that though there are some that would follow down that path, there are others, genuine believers, that will have moments of weakness 
and discouragement. I heard someone say just recently, they made this statement, they said that, uh, that, faith, that unbelief is the opposite of faith. Well, here's a problem with that. Uh, the man whose daughter was ill prayed to the Lord. He said, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Unbelief and faith are not mutually exclusive of each other. Faith is the operation of the new man. Unbelief is the condition of the old man. And so inasmuch as the old man and the new man consist in our lives and in our experience, that's what Paul taught us in the book Romans, wasn't it? He, he said that in my flesh dwelleth no good things. He said that, I, you know, I, when I try to do right, I do not find a way. I do not find it within me to do right. I, he talked about that constant struggle. In the same respect, understand that faith and unbelief have that struggle within a born-again believer. And Paul says this to Timothy. He says that in moments, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. What Paul is telling us is this, that yes, those that are apostates, that have never truly been born again, and that turn away from the name of Christ, Christ will deny those before the Father. But those of us that have been born again, and in our moments of discouragement and frustration, may in despair want to give up and lay down and quit serving God. Maybe even in the nurturing of our flesh might say, it's not being good for me to serve the Lord. You say, preacher, nobody would say that. Asaph said that in the book of Psalms. He said, I have cleansed my hands in vain. He said, it's not paid me well to serve the Lord. But you know what happened? God didn't give up on Asaph. And God doesn't give up on us. In those moments when we do not believe, in those moments of weakness, we see the feebleness of ourselves. The Bible says, if we believe not, there'll be times you'll get discouraged and want to give up. There'll be times you might say, this whole Christian life thing, I just don't know about it. I know God loves me. I know that He saved me, but I don't know about living for God. It doesn't seem to be paying off. It doesn't seem to be working out. The more that I try to live for God, the more suffering and persecution and affliction uh, that I experience in my life, the more I try to take steps towards the Savior, the more that Satan seems to buffet me. I just don't know about this thing. I'm ready to give up. What happens? He abideth faithful. Let me give you an illustration. I told him this in Senior Saints Friday morning. An old preacher by the name of Samuel Rutherford made it this statement. He said that oftentimes, in my discouragement, I have ripped up my copy of God's covenant with me. But bless His holy name that He's kept His copy in heaven safe, and He always abides by it. There may be times that you doubt the ink on the paper, but that doesn't change the faithfulness of the one that wrote it. There may be times when you get discouraged and want to give up and lay down and say, I'm tired of this. I can't do it anymore. I'm weary. I want to give up. I want to quit on God. That doesn't mean God's going to quit on you. Those moments of feebleness, we see His faithfulness. We see Him continuing to be God even when we're not being much of Christians. I think you ought to continue on. I think you ought not give up because God hadn't give up on you. You say, but preacher, I've made mistakes. Oh, I'm sure you have. I kind of bet that God knew about him before you ever even made him. I kind of bet that God knew about him before he ever even saved you. Uh, mistakes are no reason to quit serving God. Mistakes are the very reason we need to get back close to God and serve Him more. Mistakes are no reason to lay down and quit trying for the Lord. Mistakes are a good reason to understand and experience God's grace and forgiveness in our lives and a good reminder of why we need to serve Him so much the more. The devil would sneak up beside us and say, You've messed up. 
you might as well just quit trying. But just remember that if we believe not, yet He abideth faithful. He cannot deny Himself.